guys, like this one right here, who can get rid of stuff, I think it's a gift. <laughs> it is an absolute gift. Because when I think about what my kids are going to have to contend with when the Lord takes me home, oh, I pray about that every day, but I tell you what, not enough to get rid of stuff. <laughs> I, it's, it's like it's like the last hurrah. <laughs> Paybacks. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, listen. Um, I have two items of wisdom I'd like to share. One is from Jay Leno. You know that wise person, Jay Leno, who wisely suggested that with hurricanes and flooding and tornadoes and mudslides and fires out of control, severe thunderstorms tearing up the country from one end to the other, and with the threat of COVID and, and terrorist attacks, are we sure this is a good time to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance? <laughs> Not smart. The other one is a great way to cook the perfect roast beef. One ingredient is a small roast, roast beef. The second ingredient is a large roast beef. And you put the both roasts in the oven at the same time, and when the little roast beef is burned, that means that the big roast beef is done. Let, let me know how that works out, will you? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um... We moved Second John into this semester because of our handy-dandy little hurricane last semester. So the schedule has changed. The schedule you have on the front of your packet is the schedule for this semester. So if you have the other one, just discard it uh, because we're not going to be doing the book of Philemon either. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This uh, semester we're going to be studying Second John, Third John, and the Old Testament book of Joshua. John most likely wrote 2nd and 3rd John around the same time he wrote 1st John, or soon thereafter. 2nd and 3rd John are the shortest epistles in the New Testament. Each contains less than 300 Greek words. It's one sheet of uh, papyrus. 2nd John is written to the chosen lady and her children from the elder, in this letter, John is dealing with the same problem he dealt with in 1 John. While 1 John is a general epistle, 2 John is written to a specific local group of Christians. In the New Testament, the Greek word hospitality literally means love of strangers. It is a virtue that is both commanded and commended throughout Scripture. During his public ministry, Jesus and his disciples depended entirely on the hospitality of others as they ministered from town to town. Traveling could be dangerous, and there were very few inns. Also, poor Christians couldn't afford to stay in them. So people, when traveling, depended on the good hospitality of others for food and shelter. Not everyone was to be trusted, though especially traveling teachers peddling false doctrines and undermining the church. John is very anxious that true believers should be aware of these itinerant false teachers and have nothing to do with them, not even receive them into their home or give them a greeting. 
He tells them to be aware of Antichrist deceivers and to walk in Christ's commandments. It is a wonderful letter. Back to the basics of Christianity, rooted in the truth. Third John is written to a man he actually names, Gaius, which makes it one of the few letters in the New Testament addressed strictly to an individual. Gaius is a member of a church, probably in a city near Ephesus, over which John had oversight. John calls Gaius beloved, which would indicate he's a dear friend. Third John is John's final epistle. John is again focusing on hospitality, but from another perspective. In Second John, we are warned of false teachers traveling and corrupting the church. Do not extend hospitality. In this epistle, John is commending Gaius for his hospitality to traveling preachers, men who were known and approved of by John, who, was teaching, who were teaching the truth. However, there was a man in the church who had taken over the leadership he dominated. The man refused to recognize John's authority as an apostle. He refused to receive his letters, and he refused to submit to his directions. Not only that, he circulated malicious slanders against John and excommunicated members who showed support and hospitality to the itinerant preachers. John encourages Gaius to continue to do good in showing them hospitality. So the theme of 3 John is the commendation of the proper standards of Christian hospitality and the condemnation for failure to follow those standards as stated by John MacArthur. <clears throat> the book of Joshua, God bless you, is the first of 12 historical books of the Old Testament. The writer is not mentioned in the Bible but the Talmud says that Joshua wrote all but the concluding five verses, which were written by Phineas, the son of the high priest Eleazar. The name Joshua means Jehovah saves, or the Lord is salvation. The same word in the New Testament is Jesus. In Genesis 12:7, God had promised Abram, patriarch of the nation, to give the land of Cana to his descendants. But God would not allow Moses to enter the land because of his disobedience. In the wilderness, water was always in short supply. And God had instructed Moses to speak to a rock to get water for the Israelites. Well, he disobeyed by speaking to the people and touching the rock with his rod, described in Numbers 28 through 13. So from the top of a mountain, Moses was only allowed to see the panoramic view of the land of Canaan. The events in the book of Joshua describe the time the nation of Israel was at the end of their 40-year journey, wandering through the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt. The nation was at the banks of the Jordan River, across from Jericho, poised to enter the promised land. Joshua was almost 90 years old. He was Moses' second in command, and he is given the commission to take over leading the Israelites into the promised land after Moses' death. The book records Israel's journey into the land of Canaan and how God fulfills his promise to give this land to his chosen people. Joshua was an experienced leader, a military leader, and with the help from God, had great victories. He was considered a great general. 
I love the story in Exodus 17 where Joshua has victory over the Amalekites. Verse 13 says, he overwhelmed Amalek and his people. However, verse 11 says, wherever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses grew so weary of holding up his hand that a stone had to be brought for him to sit on, and Aaron and Hur held his hand up. So Joshua actually won because God gave him the victory. And the same can be said of the victories he had in the promised land. Joshua had tremendous faith in God. In Numbers 13, God commanded Moses to send out 12 people to spy on the land, one from each of the tribes of Israel. When they returned, 10 of the men reported that the land was beautiful and bountiful, but was occupied by strong and fierce warriors and giants called Nephilim. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who believed and trusted God and urged the people to take the land. That's in Numbers 14, 6 through 10. Joshua remembered Egypt. If God could take care of the mighty Egyptian army, he could take care of the Canaanite tribes. The entire generation of Israelites would perish in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They too were not allowed to enter the land that God had given to them, except for Joshua and Caleb. In the book, the Lord is portrayed as their general, the one who would lead his people in victorious battle if they would trust and obey. In six years, six tribes were conquered. God gave them the land he had promised them, but they failed to possess the land completely, allowing some inhabitants to remain. God fulfilled his side of the bargain, but the Israelites did not finish the job. The Canaanite peoples became a damaging influence on Israel as years went by. The book of Joshua was written to the descendants of those who conquered the land as a historical account of how they had come to settle there. It celebrates God as general, defender, and king, it shows the geographical boundaries given to each tribe of Israel. God promises through the ages, his promises through the ages were being fulfilled before the people's eyes, before their very eyes. Approximately 20 years of Joshua's leadership of the people is chronicled in 24 chapters. The book can be divided into three sections, entering and conquering the promised land, instructions for distributing the portions of the promised land to the individual tribes, and Joshua's farewell address. Joshua died at the age of 110. He was faithful to the end. God's faithfulness is prominent. He keeps his promises. What he says he does, he will do. Joshua in 2145 says, not only not, excuse me, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. God is faithful to Israel. God is faithful to us. I like what the commentary says about faithfulness. Faithfulness is steadfastness, constancy, or allegiance. It is carefulness in keeping what we are entrusted with. It is the conviction that the scriptures actually reflect reality. 
Biblical faithfulness required belief in what the Bible says about God, his existence, his works, and his character. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is the result of the Spirit working in us. But the Spirit is also our seal of faithfulness. He is our witness to God's promise that if we accept the truth about God, he will save us. Faithfulness is believing that God is who he says he is and continuing in that belief despite the vagaries of life. Functionally, that means we trust what God says in the Bible and not necessarily what the world or our own eyes tell us. We trust he will work out everything for good. We trust he will work his will in us. And we trust that our situation on earth is nothing compared to our future reward in heaven. The only way we can have such faith is by the Holy Spirit's influence. He testifies to the truth and impels us to seek God. The Spirit makes us faithful. Considering the year we've just been through and what seems to be another year continuing along that same path, those words are comforting. Whatever happens here on earth, we trust our faithful Lord and Savior. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all the generations. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, how grateful we are, Lord, that we have you, Father. We have the comfort and the assurance of your word, Father. We just thank you for this study. We thank you for the book of Joshua. We thank you for Second and Third John, Lord, and your wonderful servants that, that went before us, Lord, that can, can tell us about your faithfulness and your word, Lord. We just pray that each lady here will have a wonderful time studying around your word and fellowshipping with other ladies, Lord, who, who are wanting to do the same, uh, just enjoying our time around your word, Father, and trusting and believing and taking comfort from it in our day-to-day day -day life, especially what may be coming. Lord, we just uh, ask for good attendance, and we just uh, ask for clarity and understanding of the word for each and every lady here, Lord. We praise your holy, holy name. Amen.